As we prepare to hear our scripture readings this morning, um, today we begin with a passage from Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is thought to be the work of three prophets. Uh, first Isaiah, who was writing before the Babylonian exile and talked of judgment and coming consequences. Second Isaiah, who wrote to the people of Judah during the time of the Babylonian exile when they were exiled away from Jerusalem and spoke of comfort and assurances of coming home. And then third Isaiah, which uh, wrote to people in, who were back from exile, but who came back to a, a world that wasn't quite what they hoped for, a world that was still in ruins. And in third Isaiah, which is where our reading comes from today, we hear God uh, giving a message of hope and promise about rebuilding their community and their city and their land. And it's both call and promise. It's promise in the sense of God gives them a vision of how they can live in the world, but also call in the sense that they are called to help act out and make that vision a reality. Then we'll also hear a reading from the Christian Testament from the Gospel of Luke from the very beginnings of Jesus's ministry. So right at the beginning of his ministry, uh, after his temptation in the wilderness, he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. And the first thing that he does is he goes into the synagogue and he opens the scroll of, to Isaiah and he reads a portion of the passage that we hear today. So let us listen for the word of God. Our Hebrew scripture is from the book of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vindication of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers, shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priest of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. 
For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their reward. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. God has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Our Christian scripture is from the book of Luke. Chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was brought to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, the eyes of all in the synagogue were focused on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? O oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, I remember sitting in our pediatrician's office in a puddle of tears. It was about three weeks after our youngest son was born. Um, he was losing weight. We were having trouble nursing. I was exhausted. Our older son, who was two and a half, was having trouble with the addition to the family. And all of us had just been through a stomach bug. Needless to say, we were not in a good place. And I remember the pediatrician just looking at us and saying in that calm voice that I've learned to trust over the years, it will get better. 
You will get through this. And she said, before you know it, a time is going to come when your boys are going to play with each other and be friends with each other. And I know you can't see it now, but I can tell you that it will come. Well, she was right in the sense that I could not see that vision ever coming true. And yet because I knew her, because we had already been through a lot together and our family had been through a lot with her, we knew that we could trust her. Well, it's been four and a half years since that time. And while I can't say that that dream or that vision is actually a reality, it does have its moments when it is true. There are moments when my now four and a half year old and seven year old will play together usually 20 minutes or maybe 30, but they'll build a tower together or build a cushion out of, uh, a fort out of couch cushions together or dig in the backyard together. And you can hear them laughing and playing and working together. And it is wonderful. My wife and I just look at each other and can't believe this is happening. Now it's a moment, of course, because pretty soon one will knock down the tower and the other will then knock down his brother and we're back to tears and pandemonium. But we can catch glimpses of what it is, that vision of community and connection and working together. Well, I think Advent is about this season of vision and of hoping and of holding out what is possible, even in the midst of difficult realities, even when it seems like that vision is so far off. In our story this morning, the exiles uh, have returned to Jerusalem. And uh, despite all the promises that Second Isaiah had given them of comfort and assurance that they would get back, when they get back, things are not as they seem. Things are not the way they hoped it would be. The city is literally in rubble. The temple has been torn down. Uh, their homes, in many cases, have been destroyed. The land has been decimated and will need serious tending before crops can grow again. And even as they begin to rebuild their society, there are old patterns that are springing up, patterns that got them in trouble in the first place, things like economic exploitation and the wealth gap and failure to care for widows and orphans and those on the margins. In essence, their world is still kind of a mess. Even though the exile is over, they are still a long way from that place of restoration and rebuilding that they were longing for. In this context, Isaiah comes and gives the message that we heard today. It's a message to people who are in ruins, but it's a message of hope and of promise. He begins, I have been anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, to proclaim a year of the Lord. That year of the Lord is a reference to the year of Jubilee, a year when debts would be forgiven and land would be restored to those who had uh, lost it or had it taken away from them. 
In other words, the, the vision that Isaiah paints is one of healing and wholeness and economic justice, where those who have been hurt or imprisoned or mistreated or exiled would be restored. They would be treated with justice and with mercy and with healing. In this new society, there would be a new world order for God's people. Instead of mourning and loss, they would be given these garlands and these clothes to signify new life. Instead of feeling like they were withering in uh, God's sight, they were to be called the oaks of righteousness, planted with new hope for flourishing. Instead of wandering among the rubble, these exiles would be the ones building upon the ancient ruins, creating that community of mutual flourishing, of growth, and of life. This wasn't simply going back to the way things were before. This was something new, something bigger than their old patterns and habits. This was God's vision about what is possible and its connection and mutuality and life for all. Well, this is still, in many ways, the Advent vision. This is what we as people of faith hold out for what the world can look like, what our world can be like. And in part of that, that's because that's what Jesus was about. That was uh, the mission of Jesus. As we think about Advent as that season when we wait for God's light and love to be reborn in our world, what that looks like is this vision here. And so isn't it interesting that Jesus, in his very own ministry, as he begins it, he would choose this passage, essentially as his mission statement, that his whole ministry would be about bringing good news to the poor and freeing those captive by unjust systems and returning sight to the blind and releasing people from their debts and whatever held them captive. It's a vision that seems as wild and bold now as it probably did then. And yet part of the reason that I love Advent and part of the reason I love this story is because it is a message that gets proclaimed and a vision that still holds and holds out hope for us year after year, no matter what ruins we stand in. Now this year we know we definitely are standing among some ruins. In many ways, uh, the exile is not over for us yet. That is, the pandemic is not over yet. And yet we know the death toll continues to climb. As of today, when I am recording, there are over 69 million global cases of COVID, over 1.5 million deaths worldwide. Here in the United States, over 15 million cases, and over 291,000 deaths. And as we know, a disproportionate number of those falling ill and dying are from communities of color, indigenous communities, and poor communities. The pandemic, as we know, has also peeled back the realities of so much injustice and inequality in our world, be it in healthcare or education, class divisions and racial injustice that there is simply no way that we're going to be able to go back to the way things were when this pandemic ends. 
As we think about the captives and the prisoners in our world today, we can remember both the, the metaphorical captives. We can think about uh, those of us who have been isolated or who are alone as we've been stuck inside our homes, missing family and friends. We can think about those who are captive to unemployment or to those things that are holding them down. But we can also remember the literally incarcerated, those who are imprisoned in our nation, some 2.2 million people. And as we know, again, disproportionately people of color. Black men six times more likely to be incarcerated than whites, Latinos three times more likely than whites. Another way that injustice is real. Not only that, but we remember the pain of the land, the ruins of the land, the climate change that continues to devastate our globe. NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, this week released its annual Arctic report. And this year, uh, the Arctic had the second lowest sea levels and the second highest temperatures since they started tracking figures in 1900. And so, as we know, our, our land is in need of massive restoration and renewal. Well, we can certainly pile up the list of ruins, personal, communal, national, global. It's easy to find ourselves in a pool of tears. And yet, this is where Advent is so important. This is where Advent can speak to us. This is where our text can speak to us and be so helpful and hopeful because we remember that in the midst of these ruins and realities, God's vision still holds. God's vision is still there. God, God's vision beckons us into a future that we can't see, that may be far off, but that calls to us and we can trust it because we know God, because God has been with us, and because God gives us these promises that we can hold on to. It's a vision for healing and wholeness and justice and a different way the world can be. And God gives us the courage to keep working for it, even if we can't see it yet. Now, this is especially good news to those of us who feel like we fit into the categories of the oppressed or the brokenhearted or the captive or the prisoners or the rundown or the overworked or the marginalized or the unseen. To us, this text tells us that God is on our side, that God longs to restore us and renew us and fill us with power and hope and meaning and bring us to the table. And so those of us who are feeling so isolated right now, brokenhearted because we cannot be with family and friends, because we've lost family and friends, God sees us and knows us and longs for us to experience that, that reconnection and that community and connection once again. For those of us who are struggling to make ends meet, who are struggling to make 
rent payments this month or struggling uh, to buy our groceries. This vision reminds us that God sees us and knows us. And God's vision is enough for everyone, a redistribution of resources so that everyone has enough. This vision is also good news, maybe though a little troubling news, for those of us who are afforded more privilege. Because if we're honest, we may recognize that these promises may not be exactly for us, but for those who are truly marginalized. And while it's a word of hope for what the world can be, it's also very clear that we have a role to play in making this vision a reality and a role that may come with us giving up some of our comfort, some of our privilege, some of what we've come to expect or know is ours. Because if we're going to build a new world, we can't simply go back to the way things have always been. We need to bring those on the margins to the center. We need to help restructure a society from the bottom up rather than a trickle-down society from the top. And this is where I think the Spirit can enable us to help be people who proclaim the good news and work for release and work for freedom by working for this vision too. So how do we do this? Well, I think for those of us who are in that place of privilege, and really for any of us, we need God's spirit. And we need God's courage and stamina to help us work for this vision. And in particular, to help us leverage whatever privilege we do have to make this new vision a reality. Here at church, we've been reading uh, Ijoma Oluo's book, So You Want to Talk About Race. And she has a great chapter in there about the need to check our privilege. And she really talks about privilege as uh, those advantages that we, that we um, get in the world, not because of anything we've done, but just by factors about who we are. Uh, they're disproportionately given, and it's around anything. We, of course, hear about white privilege, but also there's privilege around uh, gender and economics and body type and um, ability, and there's so many different types of privilege, even if we have a car. And so one of the things she challenges us in this book is to write down all of our areas of privilege and then to think about how can we use that privilege, how can we leverage that privilege to help those who don't have it, right? To help those who are oppressed or on the margins. And so she asks questions in her book like this. She says, does your privilege mean you are more likely to sit in a manager's meeting while others are not? Well, ask then why there are no disabled people in the room. She says, were you able to get a fancy private education as a child? Then advocate for ways to help I'm sorry, then use your resulting financial security to support levies to improve public schools. Do you have the flexibility to attend PTA meetings, she says. Then advocate for ways to help 
those parents who can't be there due to work or childcare. In uh, the cohort that our church has working on anti-racism, we've been learning about the history of our land and about um, the indigenous peoples and doctrine of discovery. And we are beginning to ask questions like, for those of us who own our own homes or those of us who are in this church that is on uh, land stolen from native peoples, how do we use our privilege to begin to repair those relationships and make reparations for what was taken away from others? These are hard questions and these are powerful questions, but these are the ways that we are being asked to think about how we can help make God's vision become a reality. It's a way to help create that new world order that we would like to see. What Advent reminds us is that change is possible, that God longs for this change, and this change not only benefits the oppressed, but benefits everybody, benefits our entire society. And so this year, perhaps more so than any other years, we are really at a crossroads. With a pandemic that we know and hope will end uh, in this coming year, with political change that we know is on the horizon in a month, the opportunity for change is possible, but we cannot go back just to the way things were before. We need a new vision. We need God's vision. We need a new spirit. We need God's spirit to help us build this vision and lead us and guide us in a way forward. We may be sitting in some ruins right now, but the promise of Advent is that God is with us and that God calls us to hope for and work for this vision in our world. So may we hold this vision before us, and may we be people who work to make this vision a reality. Amen.